0: I'm Camden. Welcome to Ghosts and Garnets. Welcome
1: to our last regular episode of 2023.
0: Woo! Welcoming 2024, baby. Yeah,
1: we're so excited. I do have to tell you something that I did today that was so ridiculous and I just it made me feel so old and like a dummy. But I was studying this morning. It was like 11.27 in the morning. And I get a text message from Erin, who, if you guys don't know, she's our our other best friend. And she's like, I'm running late. I'm so sorry. And I sat there staring at my phone thinking, what the fuck is she talking about? And then I realized we had lunch plans at 11.30.
0: (laughs) So you. That we had made two days ago. So you are the one running late. In all so actuality, I
1: texted her back and I said, oh, fuck, I I totally forgot. I'm so sorry. And she calls me and she's laughing and she's like, oh, good, because I haven't even left my office yet. I was just getting ready to go. And I'm like, where were you going to drive to? Because we hadn't even decided where we were <laughs> at. <the point.
0: laughs> I love my friends. The best. So Anyway, we rescheduled. But
1: Good plan. Do you guys know where you're going to go next? Well, we always have just two places that we go, and we usually alternate. I think she was probably just going to this restaurant called Wilder that we always have these really yummy salads there. And that's our typical go-to. Sometimes we have a salad at a different restaurant.
0: guys are wild times. Why don't you um, send me what date and time and where you're going to be so I can text you guys reminders from four hours away, okay?
1: Yeah. Well, I told her, I was like, We'll pick another date and I will actually put it on my calendar so I don't forget because apparently now I need reminders of plans that I made two days prior.
0: Yeah, well, we're getting fucking
1: ancient, so oh I know. I'm glad that she was also a ding today.
0: Well, we're all about the same age, so it's it's settling in.
1: She's older than us. Bye. She is older than us. Four-ish <laughs> months.
0: <laughs> Three months. She's ancient.
1: <laughs> Did you put up your Christmas shit yet? Oh yeah, me too. My front yard is a fairyland Christmas wonder situation.
0: That's how the inside of my house is. It's my favorite. My ha- my Halloween, my Christmas village <laughs> is getting out of what kind of
1: what village are like the little guys, the
0: little like the, the little
1: things, the little statues, the houses. Oh yeah, Christmas yeah. village oh, we have houses. That. Yeah. We have well, many. I have. Most of my grandmother's Christmas decorations I took after she died, and so the inside of my house I have like her Christmas pillows on my couch, and I have you know we have this giant floor to ceiling rock fireplace, and it has some rocks that stick out, and I have like her little Christmas stuffed mooses that are supposed to sit on things, like sitting Hermes? on my yeah her mooses sitting on my um on like the exposed rock seats yeah, yeah, yeah. on my fireplace. It's so cute. It makes me happy every time I look it up.
0: I still have the angel. Well, I have the angel that I grew up with. It was on the top of our tree. Yeah. She's losing some luster. Oh, but we're still... Her a little makeover. I know. Jacob's like, you need to stick some wires up in there. I'm like... <laughs> Love him. I'm like, oh, you mean from my huge wire supply? Like, magical, that man. You need to stick some wires up there. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs>
1: Way with the words. Up until last year, I never put anything on top of my tree. I'm not a fan <gasps> of like a star or an angel on top of the tree. I just like a bare treetop. And Poppy threw such a hissy last year about us not having a star i forgot that i caved and got a star and so now we're gonna have to put a star on the tree good story let's get into it okay guys and before we get started camden didn't let me read this script so i have no idea what we're talking about i have no idea i'm gonna be on the ride with you so i'm pretty excited about that it's road trip colorado I guess the story we have for you today (laughs) is creepy at its finest. The dark tale of the Denver Spider-Man is quite different than that of the crime-stopping, life-saving Marvel superhero we all know and love. Instead, this Spider-Man secretly hid inside his victim's house before and after committing a murder. No fucking thank you. Let's go to Colorado. (laughs)
0: That's fucking terrifying. I know. And it just gets worse.
1: <gasps> oh, my God. Did you ever um, see that dateline or something where this woman was in a hotel room and figured out that someone was living behind the mirror in her bathroom
0: yes. of, of her hotel room? Yes. She kept hearing this is noises. Like, this oh. is Nightmare City.
1: Okay. Our story today centers around a retired businessman named Philip Charles Peters and his wife, Helen, whom he cherished above all others. 73 years old at the time, Phil, as he was known, had kept his head low for most of his life. A hard worker since high school, he had married his childhood sweetheart and proved himself to be a reliable husband, father, friend and neighbor in the ensuing years. Sadly, it would be his exceedingly good nature that ended up sealing his death warrant. Early in September of 1941, an ailing Helen Peters had been admitted to the hospital after suffering a fall. Unable to bear being in the house alone, Phil had stayed by his wife's side as much as possible as she struggled through the recovery process. When visiting hours were over at the end of the day, he would return home and have a bite to eat before turning in for the night. In the morning, he would wake up and do it all over again. The man on the other side of this intriguing tale, 59-year-old Theodore Edward Conies, later dubbed the Denver Spider-Man by officials for his ghoulish appearance. Oh, my God. (laughs) You never want someone to describe you as ghoulish.
0: Ever. Never, ever
1: ever so apparently theodore and phil had been acquaintances for over 30 years when they came together one last time in the latter part of 1941 although the pair couldn't have been more different they had always managed to find common ground theodore suffered from poor health and had been told by doctors not to expect to see his 18th birthday so he had decided not to finish high school Theodore had odd jobs here and there, but spent most of his adult life homeless. A kindly sort with a soft spot for the underdog, Phil had taken pity on his on-again, off-again friend who never seemed to be able to catch a break. As a result, he had gone out of his way to lend a hand any time their paths crossed, whether it be lending him money or inviting him over for dinners after his mother had passed away. Instead of being grateful for these charitable acts, Coney's had resented Philip and Helen with a passion. Envious of the older man's success, Theodore began to formulate a plan by which he would take everything that Phil had worked tirelessly to obtain, leaving him with nothing. Over time, his greed would consume him, leading to madness and ultimately murder. 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 I gotta look at this Denver Spider-Man, so I know what to be. Easier. Creepy. Wait. Oh, I'm looking at drawings in there.
0: Still creepy. Oh. (laughs) Oh. So.
1: Ghoulish is correct, sir. Yeah. Oh, my God.
0: I know. No, sir. All right. Okay. In the early days of their odd friendship, as Phil was finding success around every corner, Theodore, who could never quite find his niche, was barely able to keep his head above water. Thanks to his general dislike of any form of exertion, he had spent much of his adult life living hand to mouth. While other men his age were working long hours to support themselves and their families, he was drifting from one city to another, relying on soup kitchens for food and sleeping outside in the elements. Since he wasn't getting any younger, he made up his mind in the late summer of 1941 to put the scheme he had been concocting for years into action. As it happened, Theodore's latest plunge into homelessness had coincided with Helen's extended hospital stay. His luck in for once, the ill-willed frenemy, had serendipitously shown up on the Peters' doorstep on a day when the house was empty. Taking this as a sign from above, he had invited himself in. Originally, he had planned to just steal food and money, but one look at the quaint little haven told him he was home at last. As he walked through the home, Theodore had made a point of memorizing the layout for future reference. After venturing into every livable space, he decided that the clearly unused attic would provide adequate shelter until more desirable accommodations became available. He found a small trapdoor that led to the narrow attic cubbyhole, and went about setting up house. Do you have an
1: attic? Um, we have half of an attic. It's just an attic over Same. the garage, and. I don't go up there. I make Russ go up there. But that's where we have to keep all of our, my bins for yeah. my decorations for yep. Halloween and Christmas. Mm-hmm. So he has to go up there and then he has to hand the bins down to Tuck. Because what is the point of having a teenage son if you're not going to make them do the bin work?
0: Oh, for sure. Ashton always has to get help me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um And then I go out and I do all of the, the fun things. The decorating.
0: Yeah. Oh, correct. Yeah. I find attics asking...
1: less creepy than a basement. That's, That's what, what I was just going to ask
0: you. Yeah. <laughs> so if like someone was like, okay, Whitney, yeah. you they either spending one whole night in an attic or yeah. one whole night in a basement, you're like, attic. Attic for sure. Agree. Yeah. Yep.
1: Once he was settled in, Coney's marveled at his good fortune. With the owners gone most of the day, he was pretty much free to do as he pleased. A routine soon emerged in which he would wait for Phil to leave in the mornings before coming down from his roost to prepare himself a nice breakfast using items he felt wouldn't be readily missed. When he was finished, he cleaned up the mess, taking care to put everything back exactly where he found it. He would then lounge around for the rest of the day as if he were exactly where he belonged. With Phil's schedule down pat, he knew precisely when to retreat to his hiding spot, where he would bide his time until morning light. While the arrangement was working for the moment, he knew it couldn't go on that way forever. On the afternoon of October 17th, over a month into his stay, Coney's was in the kitchen preparing his dinner when Phil came home unexpectedly. Since he hadn't seen Coney's in over 10 years, in over 10 years? Yeah. Fucking hell. He didn't (laughs) recognize the stick-thin figure standing near the icebox. With the element of surprise in his favor, Coney's had rushed at the startled homeowner, but Phil struck Theodore with his cane. Then Theodore clubbed him with a pistol he had found in the house. His own pistol? Yeah. Coney's later commented, quote, Peters didn't recognize me though. I guess I've changed a lot in 30 years, unquote. After he struck Phil with the gun, it broke apart and Theodore continued to beat him with a heavy iron stove shaker until he died just coming home some rando skinny scary man is cooking dinner in your kitchen and beats you to death with your own gun yeah and he just
0: was wanting to take care of his wife that he loved
1: this is a horrible story
0: horrible colorado so creepy
1: when the deed was done conies went back up to the attic like nothing had happened as the evening progressed, he was like, why the fuck am I sitting in this cramped house attic when there's a whole house down there? I was just going to say that. I decided <laughs> to take advantage of this newfound freedom by lingering downstairs until well past midnight. I was just going to say, why
0: do you go back up to the attic? No one's coming." I home. think he was like, routine, like, gotta go back <laughs> up. And then he was like, well, fuck, take yeah, advantage I mean, of this. Yeah, you can sleep
1: in the big bed now, fucker. He just left poor Phil's body just yeah. hanging out.
0: Yeah, and the fight between the two of them, the struggle, had gone throughout the house. So there's fucking blood everywhere.
1: Oh my god! Ten years he hadn't seen him in ten fucking years.
0: Yeah, because he was homeless. He was a drifter. You know, he came in and out of their lives, and I every know, time it's he just did, so
1: crazy like you just show up at their house after ten years and live in their attic.
0: Well, I think he you know, Phil was always so nice. That's how everybody yeah. uh, described him was so nice, such a great man, so in love with his wife, great dad, you know. And he always oh. put his hand out whenever conies came around.
1: Ugh. Grosso. Oh.
0: And when the time came to go to bed for the night, instead of lying on the cold floor of the loft, Theodore climbed into the Peters' bed and tucked in for the night. As he lay his head on the pillow and drifted out to sleep, the fact that Phil's battered body was still laying in the fl- on the floor next to the bed was the furthest thing from his mind. He slept as snug as a bug in a rug. Several days went by before anyone realized that they hadn't heard from Phil and that something was wrong. After the ever reliable Phil failed to show up for his scheduled visits with Helen, hospital staff began questioning why he was no longer sitting at her bedside. And after witnessing his unwavering devotion to his wife, they were concerned that something beyond his control was keeping him from her. Phil's neighbors had also taken note of his absence. A familiar presence around town, it was out of character for him to just up and disappear without telling anyone. A handful of his closest friends were so worried about him that they showed up at his house to check on him. After receiving no answer to their persistent knocking, the group had entered the home. Though they repeatedly called out Phil's name, they received no response, and what they would find behind the unlocked door was far worse than any of them had imagined. They later recalled that the silence in the house had been deafening as they made their way inside. As their eyes fell upon the blood-stained floors and furnishings, they held handkerchiefs over their noses in an attempt to mask the smell of death that permeated the house. When they reached the downstairs bedroom, they found the decomposing body of Philip Peters lying face down in a pool of congealed blood. After staggering out the door, they made a beeline for the nearest telephone.
1: So this guy didn't even, like, move the body to the garage? Mm-mm. So he was psychotic. So he's a psychotic person.
0: Well, I think he's just been homeless and stuff for so long that he just doesn't give a shit. I mean, the whole reason, basically, that he wanted somewhere to stay was because winter was coming, and he didn't want to spend it out in the snow again. How long was it before people started to notice? A couple weeks? A couple days. A few days? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he had been by hell inside every day. Stink co. Mm -hmm. Human bodies don't smell nice if they're not alive.
1: So I've heard. When police arrived at the scene, they could find no signs of a break in, which led them to believe that the victim had let his killer into the home willingly. They couldn't find a single piece of physical evidence at the scene besides the bloody rod. But Peters had attempted to defend himself against the frenzied blows, and his arm bore evidence of self defense in the form of lacerations. One fingernail oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when this happens. One fingernail had been completely ripped off. What was perplexing to police, however, was that an examination of all the windows and doors inside the home were found locked. In an attempt to identify a suspect, they appealed to anybody who may have seen any suspicious persons around the home that day, but no leads or tips came in. The media later dubbed the crime scene, the, quote, Denver ghost house slaying, <laughs> uh, 1930s of it all, nothing appeared to have been disturbed, ruling out burglary as a motive. With no witnesses and no suspects to speak of, the case was filed away in the hopes that new evidence would eventually come to light. It had been a few days. Why didn't he lock
0: the fucking front door? Listen, he was also sleeping in a room <laughs> with a dead body and a house covered in okay. blood. I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'll stop trying to find logic. In okay. It.
1: Helen was discharged from the hospital shortly after the gruesome discovery of her husband. While she hadn't exactly been looking forward to returning to the house where her husband had been murdered, she had nowhere else to go. Still recovering from her injuries, she hired a live-in housekeeper slash nurse to keep her company and help her with daily care until she was back on her feet. The woman would be the first of what would turn out to be a revolving door of paid assistance. One after the other, the helpers tasked with overseeing the running of the household gave notice that they were going to find employment elsewhere. Some left without explanation, while others quit after only a few days, claiming that they feared there was a ghost on the premises. One housekeeper, Hattie Johnson, became so afraid of what she believed were invisible forces that she fled from the home in terror. She commented that she, quote, wasn't going to stay in some haunted house. Another housekeeper, Edith Clark, was certain that paranormal activity was taking place inside the home. She recalled how on one occasion she had seen a white hand coming around an open door. I'm so fucking scary. She screamed, then heard the sound of fleeing footsteps. A white hand? <sighs> you should have let me read this thing before. <laughs>
0: It's so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they
1: reported that food would go missing, household items were moved, and they were hearing strange noises. With nowhere else to turn, the elderly widow had moved in with her son and his family, where she would live out the rest of her days. This decision, born of necessity, probably saved her life. The house quickly gained the reputation of being haunted. After all, it was the scene of a brutal, unsolved murder, and neighbors became too afraid to even walk past the hall. Helen hadn't known it, and neither had the succession of nurses, but Theodore Coney's was the ghost that had been haunting the residence. In an attempt to have the house all to himself, he had made his presence known in roundabout ways in the hopes of scaring away the women he viewed as interlopers. With them gone and Helen out of the picture, he once again had the house to himself. Even so, he was about to learn that all good things must come to an end. I understand thinking that a house might be haunted because of, like, noises and things moved. But ghosts, I don't think, eat food. You know? I wouldn't be like, ghost, if some food was missing. I would think, who the fuck is in my house eating my food? Because ghosts don't have tummies or butts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well... (laughs) I mean, I guess I would say, how do you know? For one, you don't even barely believe in ghosts.
1: That's not true. I'm an agnostic ghost person. They're spectral beings. They're floaty. If they tried to eat something, it would just fall right to the floor.
0: Okay. Well, either way, I think when you're dealing with a situation that is scaring the shit out of your butt, I just feel like sometimes logic sort of like... Leaves the room. You know? Like, I'm scared. Yeah. What's going on? This place is haunted. That white hand. No, on the I door. know. I would die. I would die dead. I would be deceased. I think that my heart would just stop in my chest. I would just stop and I would drop fucking dead. I think that we might have nightmares about it
1: tonight.
0: Yes. It's a real possibility. Oh. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> The house laid vacant, but the strange activities and strong smells continued to be reported by concerned neighbors. I could never find what anybody thought was a strong smell, but maybe he cooked some onions and people were like, why does the house, why is, why are onions permeated outside? Where's he getting the food? Well, it was the 40s. I bet they had a stash. You know, like wartime. Yeah, but this is
1: like July at
0: this point. I mean, he's been in there a long fucking time. Policemen often patrolled near the house and conducted routine checks inside. In July of 1942, two officers were staged outside the house and saw a man peering out at them from behind a closed curtain. Upon entering the house, one officer heard a single click of a lock on the second floor. The officer rushed up the stairs and barely caught a glimpse of two legs ascending into the ceiling. The officer grabbed the legs, pulled down, and discovered conies had been living in the attic of the empty house. Legs. <sighs> legs. Denver Police Detective Fred Zarnow told the local news, quote, A man would have to be a spider to stand it long up there, end quote. The concept of conies being akin to a spider stuck with the media. Denver Police Chief James Childers described Coney's as, quote, the strangest-looking human I had ever seen. He was a tall man, just under six feet, but thin as a wilted weed. His dirty hair hung low over his ears, and his skin was the ugly, unwashed gray of an overcast sky, end quote. And guys, he weighed only 75 pounds. So that question about food, I don't think there was a lot.
1: Yeah. Okay. And probably the smell was him.
0: Could have been. Hmm. Why he wouldn't use the shower, I do not know. With a trapdoor that was deemed too narrow for any adult to fit through, it had been the one area of the house that hadn't been searched during the initial homicide investigation. According to the police who investigated the murder of Peters, they had never searched the attic because they had believed that the entrance was far too small for anybody to climb in. The attic entrance was barely 8 inches wide by 15 inches long, and the actual attic was 27 inches high by 57 inches wide. And the attic was filthy when they went up there, with cans of human waste lined up against the walls.
1: What is the point of having an attic that small? What is the point of having an opening to an attic that no no person except for a Spider-Man could fit through?
0: So here's the thing. Okay. So in my parents' house in Boise, it was built in 1909. It had an attic that we never went into. And there was a space for an attic. The only thing that we used it for was because all the hot air would go up there. So they'd pull hot air and then it would get released through through a vent. Yeah. So that's really the yeah. only thing I can think of. And insulation.
1: Guys, the reason they didn't use the attic is because they had the creepiest fucking basement of all time in that house. Camden used to make me go down there and scare me. It was so big. It was so big and so scary and had the scariest corners. And there was so much shit in it. And there was rooms. There was more than, there
0: was rooms. rooms. There was the the cellar room with all my mom's canned stuff in there when she asked me to go get (laughs) canned peaches or salsa. I was so scared. My dad's gun room was down there.
1: Yes. And then and you couldn't see around the corners.
0: The other was side dark, was like his bike room, concretey. And then there oh. was the call space that went underneath our porch. Ugh. Yes. Yeah. Terrifying.
1: Oh, well, Coney's was ordered to stand trial for the murder of Peters and the judge directed a psychiatrist to examine Coney's to determine whether he was competent to stand trial. He found that he was legally sane.
0: I think the judge or the psychiatrist might not have been the best one, but anywho. (laughs) Coney's trial date was
1: scheduled for the 21st of September, 1943, but before the trial date rolled around, Coney's was rushed to the Denver General Hospital, where he almost succumbed to pneumonia. The murder trial would be rescheduled, and Coney's would be found guilty of the murder of Peter's. He was sentenced to life in prison at the Colorado State Prison. Coney's became a model prisoner. He took up a job in the prison electric shop and his life behind bars was likely much more preferable to his life in the cramped attic. It was revealed during the proceedings that he had stowed away in the Peters house for nine months before being found out. His criminal career at an end, he died in prison of natural causes on May 16th, 1967, at the age of 84. His enduring legacy, such as it is, is one that few would wish to claim. Helen Peters passed away in 1943, having never gotten over the loss of her husband of five decades. She was 71. The incidence of individuals secreting away in residence of others is relatively rare, but it does occur more often than we might like to believe. (laughs) In the years since Phil Peters' murders, there have been numerous accounts of home invaders found hiding in walls, attics, crawl spaces, cellars, and basements. Sometimes they are known to the occupants, sometimes not. In most cases, these unwanted guests leave on their own when they sense that they are about to be found out. On the unsettling occasions when they are discovered, it is usually completely by accident. Fortunately, the confrontations that inevitably ensue seldom end in bloodshed. Philip Peters, who was by all accounts a prince among men, died never realizing that conies had been living under his roof for several weeks prior to their fateful encounter. His only offense had been succeeding in life while his killer had not. That is so sad.
0: It is so sad.
1: (sighs) People in walls. Yeah. That's creepier than basements or attics.
0: Yes. I watched this documentary about, it was about this family. It was a a wife and a husband and two girls and the mom died of cancer. And so that they were just trying to get on with life, live their life as best they can. And one of the girls, you know, this boy asks her out to ice cream date. And so she goes and does that. Her Her sister like would do like sort of like little I don't think they used a Ouija board. They may have actually maybe like a homemade one that they were trying to like talk to their mom just because they missed her. So they were like just trying to like because they were hearing these weird noises in the house and yeah, all yeah. this weird stuff. So they were like, you know, trying to communicate with their, their dad worked nights. I watched this. Yeah. Well, anyway, long story short, it's the fucking kid who took the girl out to ice cream. He's living in their yeah. fucking walls. He's writing yeah. things on the walls. And what? when it came to a head, they found him in an upstairs bedroom, dressed in the mother's old clothes, wearing a wig, carrying a knife, and chased the dad out of the house. They did arrest him. So fucking scary. That is fucking scary. I, I did watch that. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch that. Terrifying. Terrifying.
1: Terrifying. Yeah. So, I don't calm down, people. Calm down about living in in walls. No, I'm just saying, like, make better choices. And why didn't the Spider-Man just commit a crime, like a petty crime, so that he could live in jail? He clearly thrived there. It was warm. He was fed.
0: You know, I again, you're trying to get to logics. Yeah. And... I think
1: that I would if I was cold and I was homeless, I think I would be like, I'm just gonna pretend rob a store, not at gunpoint, but maybe just like try to stick some chips under my sweater so that I get arrested. You're not gonna and prison, just be like, no. throw the book, throw the book at me, Judge. I'm just gonna go back out and do it again if you don't.
0: <laughs> He's so gonna be- that's like the guy who hated his wife so much <laughs> that he went and committed a crime and he goes to court and he says to the judge i committed a crime because i want to be in prison because i don't want to live with my wife and he <laughs> sentenced him to house arrest with his wife <laughs> 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 the most hilarious judge that's amazing you <laughs> know what else is amazing, is amazing, guys, is the old Colorado that Whitney told me about, so... I did? Yeah. Don't remember? Cool. All right. All right. No. So, um, the article's from 9news.com in Aurora. Well, this happened in Aurora. Aurora, Colorado. So I'll just review the article. Sitting behind bars okay. is Aurora's animal shelter's biggest criminal. Well, their largest criminal, at least. Fred, the 400-pound pig is enjoying some peace, quiet and lots of treats at the shelter after being captured. Augusta Allen, field supervisor of housing and community services at the shelter, said this pig was put in the pen after a crime spree around town. <laughs> I <didn't remember> that. <laughs> Sunday the 24th of September, we got a call that he was tearing up somebody's lawn early in the morning and we went out and we couldn't find him then, Allen said. For days, this sassy swine was spotted around Aurora, with calls coming in from folks folks spotting Fred around, the, around traffic and tearing up landscaping. It didn't take long for his list of crimes to rise. Property damage, <laughs> being too cute, and maybe waking some people up, Alan said, laughing. He would probably be a pretty horrible alarm clock to wake up to and look out your window and there's this giant pig eating your lawn. He seemed to be having a good time until Fred's captors finally caught his trail. And we finally got him at Chambers and Almada streets, Uh which is that big intersection right by the municipal center hanging out in there. Alan said it was big enough of a parking lot that we could work with it. Got him loaded up and got him over here. It was funny. After so long on the lamb, Alan says this (laughs) 400-pound hog didn't go down easy. He got a little dramatic. Didn't want his holiday to end so early, she said. Now Fred's turning tail on the life of crime. I hope he's on the straight and narrow path and will be straightened up. A reformed pig, yes, Alan said. (laughs) In the weeks since they've housed this portly pig, no one has come forward to the Aurora Animal Shelter to claim Fred. Based on how friendly and gentle Fred is, Alan said she believes he was a pet that got loose or was set free. You can get a pretty significant ticket for having him in the city, so I think they just didn't want to track him down and find him, she said. Now Fred's only crime is stealing the hearts of everyone at the shelter. Staff are working to send this much-loved swine to a new home. We will miss him greatly, Alan said. He is such a sweet boy. And I tell you, when I take my breaks and just need to get out of the building for a minute, I come back and give him scratchies and little treats. (laughs) I almost feel bad for the farmer that gets him because he's going to expect those things now, I think. It'll be great. But, she said, they're hopeful they'll find Fred a spot that feels like hog heaven. Aw, Fred. Fred, you 400-pound little stinger. You miss a 400-pound pig. I don't, like I said, I don't think they're missing it. I think that...
1: No, I mean the cops. How did they not find the 400-pound pig for three days?
0: Well, I think they're probably like, how do we catch the... <laughs> uh... Camden's face is like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Um, not really sure how to catch a 400-pound pig, especially because my, like, this pig is obviously adorable and friendly, and adorable, yeah. And they aren't gonna like right. tase him. They're gonna tase no. Fred. So, like, how do you catch a four hundred pound pig?
1: I think you'd have to, um, like dart him, like sedate him, to knock
0: him out. I mean, yeah, but it, maybe that's how they eventually did it. Like, maybe they like took three days for that to like get into their brains. Yeah. Who They're knows? To Liger town pig. They could have called up Liger and been like, "Dude, what did you guys do?" I literally
1: just said that. You did. I said, you have to like her town a
0: pig. <laughs> Apparently, I'm just like thinking of all my hilarious things I'm going to say, and I'm not even listening to you. I'll work on that in, in the new year. I'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> no, don't. It, it gives me joy when you don't listen to me. Um, did you ever watch Deadwood? I started it, and then Jacob went rogue on me. So it's one of those things you have to, like, actually watch and pay attention to. So when he went rogue, I didn't know what was going on.
1: It's one of my all-time favorite shows. There were only a couple of seasons of it. Yeah. But it changed my perception of pigs forever. Do you remember the pigs in that show? No. So there was a Chinese immigrant who had pigs. And whenever someone was murdered in Denwood... They would take the murdered body to this man, and his pigs would eat it. Yeah,
0: that's one of my favorite and they things. Ate about pigs.
1: Everything. Yeah, they ate like the bones. They eat
0: everything except the teeth.
1: Yeah, so they would just see like clothes in the in the pen. Sometimes they ate
0: everything. Sometimes I want pigs. <sighs>
1: We knew somebody who had a pig as a pet in high school. remember That wasn't very cute. Toba. Yeah, it wasn't cute. It wasn't a cute pig. It was hairy. Well, listen. I didn't think it had a cute face. I just
0: feel like it's a great disposal method.
1: Yeah. No, I think that if we lived on, like, a really big property, instead of mowing, I would just get some, like, baby pygmy goats, and they could just eat all the grass.
0: You know, yeah, they love grass. Those aren't pigs. Yeah, and they're cute. They're not pigs, in case you were wondering.
1: a goat isn't a pig you're fucking kidding you're (laughs) fucking kidding me. you just
0: went all over the place (laughs) do do pigs eat grass they eat everything they eat humans they eat bones i'm pretty sure they'll take a snatch of grass they might not love it (laughs) but they're not turning it away i don't think fred's turning much of anything away
1: that that sounds true so yeah i'm just saying yeah, it sounds like he, sh- he would have fit in with those wild javelinas in Arizona. Yeah. It would have been a, yeah. been a have wild tusks. time. Tusks. They would have killed Fred with their tusks.
0: I made Tuck listen to Tusk. Yeah, he was like, what is this? And I was like, how can I even like you anymore?
1: Yeah, I was like, what do you mean? What is this? This is fucking Fleetwood Mac. This is classic. And he was like, this is weird, Mom." <laughs> Wow. And don't tell Camden. <laughs> don't tell- <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So listen, you will not be hearing from us until 2024 when we will be back with new regular episodes. If you are dying for more of us, head over to Patreon. You can click the support the show link in the show notes. Head over to Patreon. Get signed up and you will have access to our entire backlog of Patreon bonus episodes, and if you sign up as a Garnet level patron, you will also have access to our entire backlog of our Friday show. Let's get intimate, where we go worldwide. So many episodes are available for the rest of December. If you need some, if you're Jones in for a fix, if you're with your family and they're driving you fucking nuts and you need a break, yeah, come listen to us. Come we hang love out with us. Keep you company. Yes, and we'll see you back in the new year with
0: new tales of terror and creepers. So that is the story of a Denver Spider-Man and his creepy mm-hmm. white hands coming around the corner, <laughs> peering out of a closed window curtain.
1: <laughs> Hope you enjoyed hanging out with us today. Yes, have a merry, merry Christmas and a happy and healthy and safe New Year. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. Keep your pants on. Your Christmas pants. Your New Year's pants. All your. Pants. Your happy pants. All the pants. Your underpants. Stay on your run <laughs> Your underpants. <laughs>